Hello, thank you for joining me on Humanities Radio. I'm Jana Cunningham with the University of Utah College of Humanities, and today, in celebration of National Humor Month, I'm speaking with Sarah Yeo, Associate Professor of Communication, about her research in using humor to communicate science. In 2019, Professor Yeo was awarded a $750,000 grant from the National Science Foundation to study how humor affects people's attitudes towards science, specifically on social media. So let's start from the beginning. Why did you decide to focus your research in this area on using humor to communicate science? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I started focusing on humor because I'd noticed on Twitter that um, there were a lot of hashtags that scientists use. There are a lot of scientists on Twitter. Um, And there was this particular one, the hashtag overly honest methods, uh, that scientists use to just talk about the realities of doing science, right? The everyday uh, things that might come up. So a really good example uh, that I like is, my samples were crushed because the UPS guy didn't read the fragile label, right? And they would tag tweets like this with overly honest methods. And so, you know, I started thinking, based on the research in political communication and satire and sarcasm, some of that research shows that this type of humor can undermine our trust in political actors, it can undermine our trust in political institutions. And so I was really curious about how this might work for science, right? Especially um, as it relates to satire and sarcasm. And so I decided I was gonna study humor. Um, And that's that's how I got to writing that grant and and fortunately was awarded by the NSF. So through your research, have you found that it's important to use humor when communicating science? So through my research, um, I have found that humor can be a really good way to communicate about science because in some cases, it um, the sort of experience of that humor encourages people to engage with more scientific information, right? Something that um, presumably we want. And so by all accounts, uh, so far anyway, using humor has been has been shown to be a positive thing for science communication. And it's long been recommended for practitioners of science communication, but now we have empirical evidence that this is um, a positive thing. And so why is, is, I mean, is that why it's recommended? Because it creates more engagement with science? So I think a lot of the recommendations came uh, prior to having some of this empirical evidence. I think intuitively we think that humor is a good thing, right? It sort of uh, can break down barriers. It can make people more personable. It can humanize some scientists. Um, and so we, we sort of intuitively think of it as a, a good way to communicate. And you can see this, right? There's some of this work in advertising literature, for example. When you look at uh, the likability of a communicator and people's intentions to purchase something after Right, using humor in advertising and commercials, um, this is something that has been researched. And so, if we extend that logic to communicating science, right, um, then intuitively we think, well, yes, if people like our communicator more, right, maybe then it, it helps them engage with that uh, or encourages them to engage with science content further down the line. How have scientists responded? to this recommendation in this way of communicating. Are they hesitant to use humor or are they on board or are the scientists who are on Twitter more likely to use humor 
how, how have, what is their reaction to this recommendation? Yes, this is a really great question and actually one that we're setting out to answer right now. Um, what we're currently working on is a survey of scientists and their sort of perceptions around using humor as a means of communicating their research, as a means of communicating their science. So not only how scientists think about, um, like, whether they think it is appropriate, for example, to use humor, but also whether they think it might be effective, whether they think um, others might see this as an appropriate way, right? And so these are actually questions that we're hoping to answer. Um, and so in the process of creating that survey, uh, that will help us answer that. And so how have you found that scientists are using humor to communicate science? Like, could you maybe give us, I know it's it's probably hard to give us some examples because I imagine some are using like some visuals um, to, to use humor, but can you maybe give us some examples or how scientists are using humor? Yeah, so, so those overly honest methods are, are an example. If you look at the hashtag overly honest methods on Twitter, you'll find some very uh, humorous tweets. Uh, if you also look up the hashtag field work fail, there are some very humorous ones there, too. But um, in my sort of going through and looking on Twitter, what we found is that a lot of it, a lot of the science humor uses puns or some sort of wordplay. So a really good example that I think is easy for us to visualize is a, a little cell, any type of cell, with a cell phone taking a selfie. <laughs> <laughs> so... We talked about, we kind of hit this a little bit earlier on how it kind of affects people's attitudes towards science, but can you dive into that a little bit more and talking about how this has impacted uh, followers on Twitter and just the community in general on Twitter, how has it affected the way they perceive science and their attitudes? Yeah, so as I mentioned, I think... There are competing hypotheses on how humor uh, might affect how we engage with science, and, and we haven't had a chance to explore all of these yet. And so um, one hypothesis is that if you expect a joke to keep you in kind of a lighthearted or a good mood, you may not marshal cognitive resources to processing maybe the scientific information that underlies that joke, because maybe it um, doesn't kind of coincide with what you already believe, right? Your predispositions or maybe some of the values that you hold. So that's, that's kind of one hypothesis. A competing hypothesis is that the cognitive resources that you kind of put into action to getting the joke, right? might then also sort of spill over into understanding that scientific information contained within that joke. Um, and so these are kind of competing hypotheses about how people might process that information, which, which affects their attitudes kind of downstream of that. Um, in our research, you know, we've measured sort of intentions to behave in a particular way since I see social media. A lot of these intentions have to do with, um, like you've mentioned, gaining more followers or, or engaging with more content online, liking it, retweeting it, um, these kinds of things. So we kind of talked about how humor affects people's attitudes. And we kind of touched on this, but have you measured yet or do you know, does it make the message seem less reliable 
more reliable, more accessible? Have you kind of gauged that yet? Yeah, so this is a really, really great question um, because you can see how humor might have the potential of trivializing information in some ways. Um, and so in, in some of my other work on humor, we've looked at actually whether a scientist who is also a stand-up comedian and there are videos of these scientists on YouTube and it's certainly a trend that is increasing um, that scientists are doing stand-up comedy in some way, talking about their research, telling their stories. Um, and what we see is that people perceive the scientists as more likable when they use humor, but also they, it doesn't undermine their credibility. It doesn't undermine the expertise that the audience perceives. And so, you know, they still see this person as, as a reliable um, source of scientific information, which is, which is great news, right? If, if you are a scientist looking to communicate your work and you enjoy humor or you enjoy improv comedy of some sort, and all of us use humor in some way. Um, and on a daily basis, it's kind of one of those communication strategies and tactics that are very ubiquitous and we sort of do it very naturally. Um, so all these, so far, all the research that I've conducted has found pretty positive effects of using humor. That said, there are some issues for which humor doesn't necessarily encourage greater sort of intentions to engage with content. Um, and I think... My, my sort of hypothesis, the working hypothesis on this is that it depends on, on the issue, right? Not all issues in science are the same. Consider, for example, um, how we think about astrophysics, right? And, and space exploration versus climate change. People have very different views on that. And kind of these issues are also on the public's agenda to different extents. Right. Uh, or consider artificial intelligence versus climate change or global warming. Um, and so, you know, we started to do experiments using different issues instead of just kind of wordplay puns like that selfie example that I used earlier. Um, but we started to do experiments on, on using topics that we are discussing right in media about science right now. Things okay. like um, AI, things like climate change. And, you know, for some issues, so in particular the climate change issue, people found the joke funny, the visual that we presented them with. They found it funny, um, but it sort of didn't encourage them to engage with more content, right, in the future. It sort of didn't have that same positive effect. It didn't have a negative effect, but it didn't have that same positive effect. And so, um, you know, and, and my hypothesis is that it's because climate change and global warming are so different, right, are sort of a politicized issue. They're, they're in a different space on the public's right. agenda at this right. point from other issues. And so I think that matters as well. Absolutely. So what's next with your research? I mean, you've had this um, huge NSF grant, and now um, what are you going on to next? Well, um, like every other, like many researchers at the <laughs> U, I'm, I'm still working on, uh, on writing more grants uh, to fund my research, and some of it is on humor, um, and the ones on humor are starting to move into kind of 
the differences in how people perceive those who use humor, right? Who we are and our identities as people are going to change how people perceive how funny we are. Um, and so in, in a collaboration uh, that hopefully will get funded, uh, we're starting to look at kind of creating videos and how science shows, the hosts of science shows who they are, right? Might increase representation in science, but also how they use humor and how people perceive them, um, how the sort of intersection of who they are, right? Their race, their gender, uh, as well as how they use humor uh, and people's perceptions of those things. So that's one thing um, that I'm working on right now. Uh, I also have a follow-up study with uh, actually a science writer who works for NASA and some of my collaborators around the country. And we're looking, and she, the science writer at NASA is also an improv. Uh, she's a stand-up comic. And so uh, she does science jokes. And so we're recording a couple of videos with her and some of her colleagues um, and testing kind of people's perceptions. And again, it has to do uh, with race. She is in Indian American. And so we're looking at sort of the differences, right, in gender and race and, and when Scientists are also sort of stand-up comics, right? Thinking about, again, credibility, likability, how funny people think they are. Um, so kind of those are the things in the works at the moment with the Humor Project. I more broadly uh, have studied emotions. So I've looked at emotions of disgust, for example. I'm starting to look at um, emotions of hope as well, right? Something that we kind of overlook when it comes to scientific issues. Uh, I think science can give us a lot of hope for the future. Uh, and this in particular, this project is a collaboration with uh, another project on campus, the Utah Forge Project. And they look at um, enhanced geothermal systems. They have a field station in Southern Utah. Um, yeah, but so we're using that geothermal energy and EGS as a context for this kind of examination of, of um, what is known as emotional flow, right? This idea that technologies like this, renewable energy technologies such as these can give people hope, but it can also be kind of fearful in some ways. And so um, do those kind of the emotions that people go through influence what they think about the technologies, how they support them, right? Their attitudes toward them and so on. That was Sarah Yeo, Associate Professor of Communication. For more information about the University of Utah College of Humanities, please visit humanities.utah.edu.